Blog Talk Radio. Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, Lori LeBay. And for those of you that are new to our show, I just give you a little introduction um, as to what we're all about and why we're even here. You see, Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. We believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and having just these everyday conversations that we have about life with dementia, that we're going to be able to remove the stigmas and the fear attached to memory loss and help those living with the disease uh, live wonderful and purpose-filled lives. Together, I know we can have this conversation about the true needs. Um, It's just so critically important for us to remove these myths and the isolation that is encapsulating people diagnosed with this disease or caring for people with it. So I know Alzheimer's Speaks is making a difference because of you. Because of you, we were recognized by ShareCare and Dr. Oz as the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's disease. And how we did that was we did it together. You see, your shares, your likes, your tweets, shooting our information out to your sphere of influence is what's making the difference. Taking that second to just push a button and share information. You see, many people in your own circle of friends and family are dealing with this disease but don't feel comfortable talking about it yet. And so we need more information out there in our communities so that people feel it's safe to come forward and have a conversation and share what's going on in their own lives. Um, You'd want that support. So... Again, if you've got a Twitter account, please tweet us out. If you're on LinkedIn or or Facebook, Pinterest, I don't care where it is, please um, just take a moment to like and share on your different platforms because it is it is important that we work together. We invite all of our listeners to be part of the show, and so we'd love you to call in at any time. You can pose a question or a comment, Um, and the number to call in is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. Or you can always use the chat box to join us as well, and I'll be monitoring that throughout the show. Before I introduce our guest today, who I am like 
so honored and so excited to have on. I do need to just give a shout out to some organizations that that I just think very highly of. First of all, the Purple Angel Project, um, the new global symbol for dementia. If you're not aware of it, please contact me on our website, alzheimerspeaks.com. Go to the About page. There is information specifically there for you. Anybody can use this symbol um, to help raise awareness and knowledge. Um, You can use it in your emails, on your Facebook page, on your marketing materials. Um, it's It's a true global collaboration to help shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. The Alzheimer's Association, um, the, um, oh gosh, I'm going to go crazy now. The Alzheimer's Disease International Association is one that I always like to point people to because they, they know where everybody is. They're the association of all the associations around the world. So if you're looking for a support group, if you're looking for um, global statistics and resources, Alzheimer's Disease International is the place to go. You can find them by Googling them or they're on Facebook and Twitter as well. The Alzheimer's Studies Group um, has some clinical trials. They're featuring two right now, a tau trial, which is in its third clinical trial, and then also one for the frontal temporal lobe. You can also find them on uh, Facebook as the Alzheimer's team. And then the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation is uh, has more of a holistic approach. So they're going to look at more food and nutrition and um, and exercise. You know on how how we can live better with the disease. They also have a free teleseminar coming up on July 22nd which will be at uh, 5 p.m. Pacific time, that's 8 o'clock Eastern time, and that's p.m. for one hour. And it's going to be on the, it's called the Wisdom Journey, Discovering the Power of Elder Circles. And it's going to be quite interesting. They're really going to talk about aging and the feeling of being isolated and lonely and some of the resources that can be tapped, especially when somebody is homebound. They're going to talk about that feeling of wanting to leave a legacy um, of your life's journey and and how do you go about doing that. So I've actually signed up. I, I think it's going to be very, very interesting. Del Jones is one of the founders of Elder Circles and he's going to be the presenter of that. And again, you can go to our our blog, Alzheimer Speaks blog, which you can go to right from our homepage um, and get more information and register for that event as well. Um, Some people are also dealing with specific types of dementia, not just Alzheimer's. And so there is an association for the Lewy body dementia and then also the frontal temporal lobe um, association. And then others are dealing with speech issues. And that's there you want to go to the National Aphasia Association. I also like to mention just a couple of um, organizations that I think do a fabulous job in terms of keeping people connected on a social level. And I personally think that that is so, 
so um, important on this journey to help people feel connected and purposeful. So Music First with Coral Health does a great job in um, devising music prescriptions that can help us wake up, put us to sleep, help us eat, um, pull us out of a bad mood. Most of us have driven in the car or listened to the radio and we've welled up with tears or joy because um, music is so emotional. So they really help us create a package that is beneficial for not only the person with dementia, um, but for for you as a care partner. Puzzle With Me has designed some great puzzles that are age-appropriate for um, adults with dementia and they are um, fewer pieces, bigger pieces, so easier to handle. And then my friend James Creasy with Jiminy Wicket has um, an intergenerational game of croquet that he's designed that can be used in family settings and or um, community settings. Um, he's brought it actually into schools to help educate the kids, and then they team up with um, a memory care unit and will play croquet one-on-one every week. So beautiful things are happening out there. Lots of great, great resources. And then, of course, I have to give a shout-out to my web designer, Custom-Made Design. Uh, Without them, I would be one little lost girl. They have been absolutely incredible to work with. So if you're looking for a web designer, um, check out Custom-A Design. All of these people can also be found on any of our bottom pages with hot links to on our website, alzheimerspeaks.com. So let me go ahead and introduce our guest today. Um, this first half, we're, we're going to have a discussion, and then we, we may actually roll into the second half, which is going to be open mic. We'll just see where we're at with callers and guests and, and where the conversation leads. But I personally could talk to this woman probably for a straight week and not get bored. She has done incredible work in her lifetime, and now she has pulled things together to share with the world, and uh, it's, it's quite impactful. Her name is Mara Botanis, and she is the author of When Caring Takes Courage. Now, this book was just released on May 18th. Good date, my daughter's birthday. I'll just add that in there. So good juju on that one. Um, But Mara is a speaker. She's an Alzheimer's family caregiver advocate and an Alzheimer's awareness supporter. She has been in the healthcare industry for over 29 years, and she's worked in the senior industry throughout the United States. Her life and career was forever changed when a close family member was stricken with Alzheimer's. Her everyday work at the national level alongside families coping with the impact of Alzheimer's and dementia, as well as countless medical and healthcare professionals specializing in the disease offered her an unparalleled opportunity to learn from the collective experience that's out there. She spent um, time in hundreds of communities with thousands of families while working in over 30 states during her 29-year career. Um, in healthcare, she uh, worked in sales and marketing in regional, divisional, and national roles. She has given um, 
a tremendous knowledge of um, challenges faced every day when coping with the impact of Alzheimer's in dementia. Some of her accomplishments I'm just going to mention because I, I think it's really important to to know the um, the strength and the knowledge base of this woman. Um, she had consulted on pre-construction design phases of communities. She has created and provided uh, nationwide memory care training for health care industry caregivers and executives as well as families impacted by the disease. She's designed educational materials and facilitated family caregiver seminars to support families impacted by Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, And so she just really comes very well-rounded. She continues to be a demand speaker for healthcare professionals and a highly requested trainer for family caregivers. Her extensive background and successful track record um, works in collaborating with both family caregivers and professionals in all aspects of at-home and community-based memory care. And I love I love where she comes because that's that's really my focus too, joining everyone together. Um, Mara's passion in, in life's work has been to learn the best practices um, capable for caregivers, again, both professional and family, and to find success, joy, and hope in the face of a devastating disease and to find ways to share that information with those dealing with the disease on a day-to-day basis. Her company is called Biography-Based Care, and it offers educational tools and resources and training for both professionals and family. And like I said, I cannot wait to have this conversation because um, you know, I've been doing this a long time, and I am I am just so excited and so thrilled over what she's going to share with us today and what she has packaged in her books. This information is so greatly needed. So welcome, Mara. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you so much, Lori, and thank you for having me on. It's an honor to be here, and I have such respect for your work and all that you do to raise awareness and and bring all of us working on the fight to end this disease together. You are the epitome of the collaborator, always sharing information and making it really accessible for all of us to find in one place, and it's just an honor to be with you. Well, thank you. Well, before we get started kind of with our line of questions, which I I know I'm going to get off topic and swerve and sway because I'm just so excited about everything that you're doing here. Can you um, you. give uh, give our listeners a little background as to have you had personal experience with dementia? Has anyone in your own family been touched by it? I know I, I had referred to that in the opening, but if you can give us a little details as to who that was and when that happened and how it impacted you. Sure. Um, Well, maybe even to go back a little further, at 14, I started volunteering in nursing homes, and except for a brief and very unsuccessful stint at a jewelry store where it was my job to pierce ears and uh, maybe a summer spent uh, working at an ice cream parlor, 
I'd never worked a day in any other industry in the last 29 years. So being around seniors in all phases of aging, cognitively or physically, wasn't new. But my dad died at a very young age, and the person that I think of in a paternal way was my grandfather. And this man had a highly decorated career. He was a general, um, a dual-degreed presenter on international affairs to the United Nations, a very accomplished man in in many regards, um, athletically, professionally, educationally, but was such a humble person and such a service-oriented person, a faithful servant of God and of his neighbors. I learned so much from him, and he was such a giant influence on my life. Um, It was his talks with me that shaped, I think, very much the person that I hope to be. It was his lessons about never passing a person, an animal, or a situation in need if you could make a difference and and not acting on it. It was about his the way that he would just seek out any person on the street, whether he knew him or not, and offer a hand in any time, any hour. He was just really known for that. We lived in a small community that didn't have a place of worship, and he helped donate the funds to make sure that a church was there. Um, this town was so small, it's the kind where neighbors pass casseroles back and forth over backyard fences because you know when somebody's <laughs> sick and you know your postman's name. And and my grandfather, I feel like, just embodied that sense of community and of giving and and he never spoke about his title. He never spoke about his accolades. He, it was important to him that, that we grew up to be the kind of people that had a good relationship with what he called the man in the mirror. And many of us know that, that poem and that wonderful writing about at the end of the day, do you like the person you see in the mirror? Is your relationship with God a good one? Is your relationship with your family of the most importance to you? Do you lead your life with integrity? Are you the person that they don't want to do without because you're that helpful when you're around them? And um, he was so much, I think, a part of me defining what character means and to this day is the ruler by which I still measure myself. And um, my mom was his primary caregiver along with my grandmother. And I would come and, and stay for a week at a time to give my mom a break. I would use my annual leave to go and, and stay with my grandparents as they started to need a little bit more help physically. And And he was starting to show some signs of memory loss. But on one visit, I started to speak with him And he took me on a tour of his home because I hadn't ever been here before. And my heart broke for the very first time because all of a sudden, wiped clean of all of our shared history, I was a stranger to him. And this man that had been such a huge part of every good thing that I thought I had ever accomplished in somebody that deserves great credit for inspiring good works from so many people, including myself, had no idea that we had ever met. And it was um, a devastating moment, but one, I think, ultimately that that led to, I hope, me helping turn that hurt into helping other people and other families. 
Well, I can hear the emotion and and the love in your voice, and I think you know, um, I think it's important to say thanks to to those people and to have to come from that place of gratitude and acknowledging the lessons learned and the the, the deep connections that that occur, and and I can tell by um, your work that's what drives you. Um, your, your compassion, so. your sincerity. Um, I mean, it just shines. And so, uh, to me, I feel I feel like kindred spirits. It's like woohoo! I met another one. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that has that has this deep. That's passion a high compliment. To, Thank you. Um, to connect, and I, I think it's so important to come from that authentic voice. I think that's really the only way we're ever going to make critical needed changes is to come from that authentic voice that where it really matters it's not about a political base it's not about making money it's about making the world a better place um, for everyone and so i i thank you for having the courage to you know leave you know a, a a very nice job that was i'm sure very comfortable for you um to do the work you're doing this to step out on on your own um is not an easy thing to do i i know i i've done it i'm doing it and um it it takes a lot of it takes a lot of faith um it you does. know to main to maintain your sanity and to reprioritize what's important in life and and life is so much bigger than us and and I can tell you get that so so thank you well let's thank get you. talking about about this book when caring takes courage um what what is um what makes this book different from other Alzheimer's and dementia caregiver books that are out there? What do you think makes it different? And then I know I'll be jumping in because I see all kinds of things that make it different. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. And and I want to start by saying there are some excellent resources already out there. So it was important to me that we didn't just do something that was already available, but. I had so many really great conversations with caregivers, and as things were getting really a lot harder for for my grandfather at home and the women that were taking care of him, I started asking different kinds of questions. And when I did have an opportunity to, to be with some wonderful memory care provider mentors, and that list is long and they're in my book, I, I couldn't have got where I did by myself. I learned so much from my colleagues and peers in the senior housing and healthcare industry. I just want to acknowledge that very clearly. Um, But also when I was in the space of family caregivers, I started asking what works because there are a lot of things out there already by folks that are way smarter than I am about the disease process and the current research. But what I didn't find was one quick go-to place for coping mechanisms that you could see at a glance when your whole world is falling apart and somebody refuses to take their medication or doesn't want to get in the car to go to a doctor's appointment or doesn't want to get dressed or is starting to get really agitated to the point where you're afraid some physicality is going to come in, how do you cope with those things? So I started asking a lot of questions about what works, what's successful, and my thought was to put together those best practices in a really easy-to-use way, something that you could flip to at a moment's notice in that hour or that the moment of need without having to read a whole volume, without having to read it cover to cover or sequentially. You could just flip to the chapter that 
that best helps the current situation you're in and learn from others that have been there before you. Here's a menu of things that, that might work that you could try in a heartbeat when you really need a friend and you feel kind of alone. And and that's one of the things we tried to do. So there's best practices in there, not only from from professionals about what the most current techniques are for memory care and health care today, but also best practices from family caregivers that are walking this walk at home. And then uh, we kind of put a bonus section in there that is over 700 Alzheimer's adapted activity ideas sorted by interest. And I didn't want people to have to buy three or four different books. I don't didn't want you to have to buy a book when you needed activity ideas and then buy a book about how to deal with difficult behaviors and then buy a book to understand what the disease process is and then buy a different book to understand the healthcare system and, and how to finance it when you feel like you can't afford any help and maybe you can. So we tried to make it all of those things in one and, and give families a better value without sacrificing that at-a-glance piece that was so important to us to keep it really easy to use. And I think that was probably what really guided our hand when we wrote it. Well, it's it's uh it's a great book. It's it's oversized compared to the norm, you know, which which I love. It's got um easy to read font, larger print, you've used a nice color usage and there's plenty of room to write and one of my favorite things in the book um is just the binding. It's easy to open and be able to see where some of them kind of get tight and you feel like they're going to break apart. This is really yeah. done very very well and um you Thank also you. have listed in towards the back of the book a bunch of other um, you know, books, uh, you know, and resources mm-hmm. that you really like too, which is which is great. I I personally think this is going to end up being kind of one of those uh, people refer to them as the uh, as a Bible book for the disease. Um, uh, Surviving Alzheimer's by uh, Paula Spencer Scott is one of those, and I think your book When Caring Takes Courage is going to be another. Um, I have seen in Thank I've you. seen a lot of books. And you have just jam-packed this thing full of resources um, and tools. I'm, I'm meeting actually with a with a firm today that has uh, seven communities, and I'm going to bring this to them and say you need to get this um, and well, show them an example you. of your of your um, biography tool. So let's kind of break down some of the. Um, some of the tools and things that you have in here. Actually, before we do that, I, I want to I want to read a little bit from Chapter One, if that's okay, um, sure. which is entitled uh, "The Failure Free Philosophy of Biography Based Care." And I think this again is just beautifully written, um, speaks from the heart. And and makes us slow down and think, why are we doing what we're doing to begin with? Because sometimes we we get we get so busy we forget why we're caring and how we should care. So it just says, My dear, please help me have the best day possible. I'd really enjoy my favorite breakfast. Coffee with two creamers and one sugar, toast with cinnamon, and sugar sprinkled on it and a slice of banana on top of my bowl of cereal. It's nice to have the that it's nice to have the kind of breakfast I always used to start my day with when I could still make it myself. 
Starting with something familiar makes me feel more relaxed about embarking on the rest of our day. I used to make your breakfast sometimes. Do you remember that? Um, you know, and you just you give some nice examples about the importance of of routine and familiarity, mm-hmm. and and why why that brings us comfort um, instead of maybe doing something that um, you know uh, that is going to be a little foreign. Um, routines are are very very comfortable. So why don't you tell us about you know your um your biography tool and um how did you come up with it and um how will it help people sure well um and first of all you know Lori thank you so much for commenting on the format of the book the biography tool that we're going to talk about in a minute is one of those places where i really encourage readers to rip out the pages and write on them and when we made this book, part of the reason it's oversized and the binding is easy and there's a lot of use of color, um, and, I, and I put this in the book as well, is I don't want this book to be read. I hope that it's used. I want it to be like a favorite cookbook. And the reason I use that analogy is I I firmly believe caregivers are having a lot of their own unrecognized successes already. And I'm not here to tell anybody what to do or how they should be doing it. But what I want to do is give them a couple of choices so if they get stuck, they can use what's already working and maybe add some of our ingredients and come up with their own recipe. And anybody with dementia care knows what worked one day might not work five minutes later or even the day after that. So the more choices we have, the better. And um, that's kind of why we, we created the book in the way that we did. The biography tool is actually something I learned in the healthcare industry. Um, I worked for a wonderful organization that that was really a pioneer in person-centered care, and the the idea first came from that experience, and then um, we've expanded on it and made it our, our own over the years. The idea being that when you have Alzheimer's or dementia, so much of your day create some confusion and that feeling of disconnect or being lost or maybe not as capable as you once were. You don't always have the ability, as you well know, to articulate your preferences or your wants, your likes, your dislikes. And so we want to help caregivers capture the story of who the person they love is. Something as little as, did they like ivory soap more than dove? Do Is the smell of roses something that brings them joy? Do they like the sounds of classical music? Um, when they had a hamburger, did they want to make sure it had no mustard or pickles on it? All those little things that that make the person you love who they are may seem like little things, but in the context of providing care, it's super important. We can capitalize not only on your loved one's abilities and preferences and give context to some of the daily care tasks because they're more familiar, but it also creates a little bit more cooperation and want from your loved one and a little less stress for you if we're doing things in a way that relates back to something that that feels right. You know, for example, if somebody, you know, is used to only bathing once a week and instead of taking a shower, they used to take a bath and they always did it at night before bed, then maybe us trying to get somebody in the shower two or three times because of their incontinence now is just a recipe for disaster. So instead, we help people figure out, 
now that's still a scary thing and bathing's a tricky topic, but here are, you know, five or ten different ways to accomplish bathing without submersing somebody in a tub. But let's start from a place of success. We already know your loved one used to do this once a week and they really would rather do it in the evening instead of the morning. So let's try to start there and start with that favorite ivory soap and see if we can incorporate as many things that they like into whatever it is we're trying to accomplish as possible. And um, that's kind of where it was born from. So the biography tool really asks caregivers to think about likes and preferences and help identify the people, places, and times in your loved one's life that that are familiar, that are are things that can be called into play when you, you need a little extra help, um, just to really kind of help bring that routine forward again at a time when it feels lost and inaccessible. Well, and that's a that's a great thing. Uh, you know, again, sometimes we try to make a person with dementia fit into our routine. And what we don't realize is how how much of a struggle and frustration that can cause and the waste of time and energy on everybody's part. Um instead of uh, you know adjusting our schedule to work around cuz really the whole goal is you know, when we're caring for someone, when we're trying to be person-centered, it's about their comfort. And bottom line is, um, and, and you can say if you found this, but I found this, if they're comfortable, I'm comfortable. You know, Absolutely. And, and, we for, and we forget that piece. And we fight this battle sometimes. It's just kind of asinine. You know, thinking it, right and wrong and have to do it now, and we lose our flexibility and we lose the focus of, the comfort care. And, you know, comfort care a lot of times is talked about in end stages, you know, with hospice, but we should be focused on comfort care with every single person we encounter throughout our day. Absolutely. And I think that's a huge, huge message we try to convey in the book is to try to please let go from all the judgment. Uh, you know, we do a lot of judging ourselves as caregivers. Did I do this right or did I do this wrong or this book says to do it that way or, you know, are people going to think it's weird that I took my mom to the doctor in the pajamas, in her pajamas. Does that make me a terrible caregiver? So we try to give people permission to 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 let go of any perceived judgment from other people or from ourselves about what's right or what's wrong. Because at the end of the day, if it worked, if your loved one was safe, if they had a good day, a lot of this other stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't. It it really doesn't. And, you know, when you say that, I mean, I, I'll give an example because I hear this so frequently. How many people have pulled out of their church, which would be the last place you'd think there would be judgment. You would think that that yeah. would be a really compassionate place for people to be able to go. And we have to get beyond that, and we have to start feeling comfortable educating people if they ask. You know, well, what's going on? Well, this is why. And then people, they understand, you know, they'll get it. Not everyone, and but everyone doesn't have to get it. You know, you just have to feel sound and confident. And sometimes I think in order to do that, we need to have some type of support group. And this disease can be so isolating for so many. Mm. And that's why I think it's important to, you know, um, connect with some social support groups. I know listening right now, I saw that um, Harry Urban with Forget-Me-Nots and Rick Phelps with Memory People both have great social support groups on oh, Facebook. Yes. They're both um, fantastic. 
Yep, and it's it's important for people to be able to connect and to be able to connect 24-7 when you need it, not wait for a response. I remember when Rick started his group, um, him saying, I didn't want to wait. I didn't want to wait two days for someone to see my note posted because by the time they got back to me, I forgot I posted it. You know, I want to have a conversation. <laughs> I, maybe I need to vent. Absolutely. Maybe I, Maybe I just need to be heard. Maybe I'm looking for, you know, new alternatives. And, and you know, that stuff is critical. And so um, your tool... Absolutely. Really, I can't say really, enough about memory people. They do a great job. Yeah, it it really is about, you know, making those connections and mm-hmm. getting people to think differently. And I think that's what this tool will really help people do is what makes sense. You know what makes sense um, in terms of this. One of probably the the biggest differences because um, people will will make this correlation a lot in terms of caring to having a child and setting up routines. Well, with a child, mm-hmm. you're starting from scratch. With an adult, you're not. And so again, no. it, it it needs to go back to their comfort care, and you know what is their history and why is it important. Um, let's let's Absolutely. move on to a um, to another one of your your tools uh, in the book, and it's signs and symptoms of Alzheimer's disease and dementia. And it's a tracker. Can you tell people a little bit more about that one? This is one of my all-time favorite tools, and it's um, available for free as a download on Memory People. Um, It's free as a download on our website. I want to get this in as many hands as possible. This um, came from conversations on on both sides of the desk, if you will. Family caregivers that reported a couple of frustrations with physician visits. One, sometimes, especially with spouses, they felt very uncomfortable telling the doctor in front of their wife or husband what was really going on at home or some of the the behaviors they were seeing or the concerns that they had. Or they felt like the physician visit was all too quick to really get into what was happening. Or sometimes they had a difficult time articulating it. They just felt like dad was getting worse. Or my wife is, ever since we changed her medicine, she's not getting any better. Things are different. Um, so there was that concern on the family side. And then from the provider standpoint, there was some frustration from the nursing and physician community because they felt like, there wasn't a way to really articulate what the symptoms were. Worse, better, good, bad, same, they're fine, they're not. doesn't really help a physician or a medical or healthcare provider quantify what's changed since the last visit and what we can do to collaborate around treatment interventions and adjusting things. So there were some some basic checklists out there are you seeing this in your loved one, yes or no? And what we heard back from providers was that's not good enough. What, I need, what we need to know is, is the, is the frequency of this behavior increasing or decreasing? And it would be wonderful to have this information collected over time so that we can figure out, okay, um, over the last three months, you know, your loved one seems to be getting even more forgetful and has forgotten their name now weekly when it used to be never. 
over. They don't even know their own name anymore. Or we've got several different areas on the tool. The categories are orientation, communication, bathing and dressing ability, nutrition and hydration, how they're doing with eating, um, sleeping patterns, um, the physicality, if they're having any trouble with walking or falling, toileting, judgment, behaviors, how engaged they are um, with with life. And, and it's measured in things like ability to communicate, if they appear withdrawn or if they're making eye contact, and wandering and safety. And under each of those categories, it asks the primary caregiver or even somebody that's suffering from early onset Alzheimer's disease, we really ask them to complete this every 30 days. And it asks under each of those categories just real quick questions. Is this happening never, weekly, or monthly? And this information, again, when you bring it to the doctor's appointment, can really have the power to change dramatically the kind of conversations folks are having in that all-too-short amount of time. And, And believe me, physicians wish they could spend more time with patients too, but for many reasons, with reimbursement what it is, they have a certain number of patients they need to see each day, and they're trying to do the very best they can um, to understand what's happening and how best they can help. And I think this is a way as caregivers that we can support that effort a little bit better. And to have a, a little bit more accurate tool, there are, everybody will know what I'm talking about when I reference the stages of the disease process, but a lot of times somebody can be in one stage in the morning and a different stage that afternoon, or they go from one to the other, or sometimes one stage seems so broad to really describe what's happening to that person you love so much and you see every day. So this is just a way of being a little bit more specific about being person-centered and communicating what's really happening to the person that you love every day and what is it that you're really seeing. And then again, it can guide conversations about, gosh, what changed and why do we think that is? And to maybe catch things a little bit sooner. If we're seeing some declines in one area over another very rapidly, then that's something that deserves a conversation with the interdisciplinary team. Or conversely, if some skill sets are holding, then let's celebrate the heck out of it. This is fantastic. Did you know there's been no decline in this area for three straight months. That's phenomenal. I'm so glad to know this. So it just really helps people kind of keep track a little bit better what's happening with one person instead of a broad stage that's designed to to cover millions of people at all kinds of moments in time. Mm-hmm. Well, that I love is- this tool. I think everybody should use it. Yeah, I do too. I do too. You that's one of the uh, beauties I think of your book is everything you've designed is is easy to use. It's in everyday language. I mean, you've really thought about how someone would use this, when someone would use this, why someone would use this. And as silly as it sounds, not everybody thinks of those questions when they design something. <laughs> so, it's it's very very user user friendly let's talk about um how people can um reduce the risk of wandering because that is a, a, another tool um that you've come up with for a checklist Absolutely. This is another good one. You know, the Alzheimer's Association estimates that in their most recent facts and figures disease report from 2014 that as many as 60% of persons with Alzheimer's and dementia will wander during the course of their disease. 
And we work very closely with Project Lifesaver. In fact, we're doing a training for first responders um, where I'll get to speak in Orlando uh, next month. But what we want to do is, as we encourage folks to either be a part of Project Lifesaver and their um, PAL program or be a part of Safe Return with the Alzheimer's Association, those are things that occur to help you find a loved one after they've wandered. And we wanted to take a step back and say, what can you do to reduce the risk of wandering before it ever happens? So what we've got is this is another one of those places where I really ask people to tear this out of the book. Take it to Home Depot with you. Take it to the doctor with you. And it really asks people to kind of think through and put a plan in place before it happens. Everything from what you can do to modify the physical environment to keep it a little bit safer to also help understand what the triggers are or why somebody might be wandering, what it is they might be looking for or what that unmet need is. And then, God forbid, before you ever need it, you know, please have a current picture of your loved one handy and please have your phone number there and please have a system in place. We want um, one of those pages you to just go ahead and put on the inside of a kitchen cabinet or put on the side of the fridge that, that is your action plan. If any wandering happens, here's what you do, and here's what the steps are immediately. Everything from calling 911 to searching in a very specific way in concentric circles, your home, out to your neighborhood, alerting neighbors that you've already talked to that your loved one may have a tendency to wander, so please be on the lookout. But really, like I said, before that even happens, there are so many wonderful products on the market out there right now. Everything from really easy to install murals that can cover a doorway um, to doors we you know we've heard it a million times that lock with a key but really for us we want to look at why why is somebody exit seeking and a lot of times people are looking for something home or looking for a parent or trying to go to work and to us we feel like all behavior is communication and if we can identify what those needs are ahead of time and fulfill them then you reduce the risk of somebody needing to look elsewhere for that and if somebody is looking for home and we hear that so much you know I know you hear that all the time, too, mm -hmm. and caregivers are kind of confounded because why are they saying that? They are home, but really we know they're hearkening back to a day when maybe they grew up in their parents' house, and they're really looking for that sense of belonging and that feeling of safety and security. So when somebody starts saying, I want to go home, we really help guide caregivers through, instead of saying, you already are home, say, you know what, you must miss it. Tell me about it. What was the backyard like? Tell me about your mom. Was she a good cook? Tell me about your dad. What did you have in your backyard? If you know there was a tree swing there or a tire on the end of a rope, you know, let's engage this person in some of those conversations that will meet that need so they feel that sense of belonging and safety and security and love without having to go anywhere. But we recognize that sometimes conversation just doesn't work. So we got all kinds of tips and tools in there. Everything from having an emergency activity kit ready and raring to go to, again, some of those more um, physical safety devices, different locks and latches and alarms and bells, things that can really help a caregiver know immediately when an exit has been breached. But there's lots of reasons somebody might wander, and I think it all starts with understanding why first, because it's so different for every person, and, and your interventions are different based on the reason somebody's doing it. So we gave people lots of choices to pick from in there, but... The message of that chapter, and in fact, we broke it out into its own booklet, Reduce the Risk of Wandering. We just want to get the word out as fast as possible before that 60% takes a step outside the door. Before this even happens, we just want to implore every caregiver to please have a plan. Whatever it is, just please give it some thought before it occurs. A lot of times, I think... Um, 
caregivers may make the mistake of thinking, well, my mom's never done that. I don't think she's going to. Or my dad doesn't do that. Or my wife wouldn't do that. And and in senior housing, unfortunately, I saw a lot of times, to their surprise, they were wrong because that's what landed them in my office in the admissions and marketing department saying, I, I guess I can't keep her at home anymore because here she's gone and wandered off and the neighbors found her, 911 was called. We want to do everything we can to help people have the longest number of the safest, happiest days they can, whether it be home or at a community, wherever they are. So we want yeah. to reduce the risk before it occurs. I agree. Now, so this this um, um, quick tips for caregiver. This can be purchased um, separate for wandering, separate from the book as yeah. well. Is that okay? Yep, and, and that's available nice. on our website, biographybasedcare.com. You can find just that wandering. Um, booklet to reduce the risk of wandering and um, again that's just something we want to get in as many hands as possible because we feel like it really has the ability to to save some lives and I'm so thankful to to all the folks I learned from along the way that helped helped me compile these interventions because there's some really phenomenal tips in there and techniques to help stop this before it even happens. Well, you know, I'm going to be doing um, some town hall meetings on living well and safely with dementia, and I'm going to bring this as an example um, for people to be oh, able to great. purchase. Have you um, have you thought of making this into an app at all? Because I'm just thinking if this is portable, this would be great for them to be able to have the information at hand and to be able to log in, you know, kind of the the, the incident log and then have the basic statistics of age, weight, height, color, all that stuff on them in their phone um, would be really... That's a good uh, question. I, You know how you gave such praise and thanks to your team for the website? Mm-hmm. Well, gosh, yeah. I, I am I'm similarly in awe of people that have that skill set. I kind of grew up the last 29 years doing a job where if you were good at it, you got a coral lipstick kiss on your face at the end of the day. So you didn't really spend a lot of time at the computer. But, but I'll look <laughs> into that um, and find out. So I'm really good at knowing how to hug a senior and make sure their day is great. But when it comes to all these apps and tweets and tumblers and Pinterest, I'm not really sure what people are talking about most times. But I'll find out about it. This would make a great app. The other thing that I would um, suggest in here, and this was not my idea, I think someone had called in on our show and actually shared this, um, but they said one of the things that they do is every morning when they get up, they they kind of take a, a picture of the person, and then someone else called in and said, we do a selfie now, we do a, we do a, a picture great together. Idea. And so I Great always know idea. what what they're wearing and kind of because you know you know our hair can change and just our mood can make us look different and stuff too, in terms of pictures. And so um, they just that is have a great kind of, idea. And and they worked it into their routine, so it ended up being kind of a fun thing for them to be able to do. Um, and I think it's people- so smart. Anything we can do to be prepared ahead of time, because in that moment of crisis, believe me, your heart is just dropped down to your feet. And in that moment of panic, it's, sometimes it's hard to come up with those details. It's, it was today the day she was wearing her blue sweater. Or was that yesterday? Yep. You know, you don't want to have to have any of that slow down the process. So what a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, very very simple but um very powerful. So so this is a great great tool and I I highly recommend um this one as well. There's there's um 
there's very few people that get me this excited about about their curriculum <laughs> and what they've pulled together. Thank you. And I'm, and I'm telling very you, humbling. Um, Mari, uh, Mara has really pulled some great stuff together um, for people. And please know I'm not getting anything in return for saying this. This is just my honest, authentic, um, you know, uh, opinion on this. It's it's just well designed material that is here to to really help people through this process. Let's move on because I can't believe we've almost gone through sure. an hour already. <laughs> I know. I knew we'd be yapping longer. Um, let's talk about the the health history form that you've developed and how people can utilize that as well. Um, absolutely, that's another good one. Um, this one I want to give all due credit to my mom, and the reason is she is the most organized person you ever want to meet. For example, if you ever go camping with her. Every single camping supply is in a clear plastic bin with a typed label on it. You'll find a typed menu. You you know exactly what afternoon after what family activity you're having s'mores at. And (laughs) in her wallet is this five pages and, oh gosh, sticky notes and little pieces of yellow pad and all these different scraps of paper that have every single part of my grandparents' health history on it. Meds change all the time. Um, Doctors, specialists, dates of surgery. She's constantly adding to this medical history because unfortunately, and boy, if I had the power to change this, I sure would, but every office requires you to fill out their own set of forms. So what that means to you as the caregiver is you've got to have all this information with you every single stinking time you go to an appointment because you have to recreate your loved one's whole medical and health history every single time, all over again. So what we wanted to do was take all those little scraps of people of paper out of people's wallets and purses and put it in one place. Everything from the latest glasses prescription to the date the dentures were last done to, again, like I said, current medications, frequency, dose, and name of medications, doctors, specialists, their phone numbers, their fax numbers, um, insurance information, policy numbers, and provider numbers. Um, Most offices, as we know, will take a picture of the insurance card front and back, so you do still need to bring them, but our hope is that it makes that time in the waiting room a little bit less stressful because chances are pretty good if you're there with somebody that has Alzheimer's or dementia. I mean, look how we feel when we have to sit in the waiting room for 20 or 30 minutes. And then imagine adding dementia on top of that where somebody might not understand where they are or why. You maybe are in an uncomfortable chair with a TV blaring with whatever daytime talk show happens to be on. The room is full of people that are either coughing or fidgeting or talking, and it's just so overstimulating. And the last thing you want to do is be thumbing through your purse and fiddling through all your papers trying to figure out, oh, gosh, when was it that mom had her knee surgery and what hospital was that and what was the surgeon's name? So, again, it's one of those pages we want you to just rip out of the book, fill it out one time, take it with you everywhere, and then hopefully in that moment of need it will just make it a little less stressful for you to transfer that information from, from our pages onto whatever office you're at, their own form. Okay. Um, next, you have a, a sample of weekly uh, of a weekly care plan, um, which I think is is uh, very interesting um, and and extremely helpful for people. Can you talk about this one? This is another one of those tools for people that like to be organized. Um, it, it you know, and, and when I say organization, I say it with a certain amount of love and affection. 
because when Alzheimer's and dementia enters your world, sometimes the best laid plans. But it's, I guess the overall message of this chapter is sometimes you got to put laughing ahead of laundry. And I really wanted a way to help caregivers figure out out of all the daily tasks that need to be done, and, and a lot of them are around getting the person you love up and dressed and showered and teeth brushed and morning medicine done and fed and dishes done and laundry done and going to the pharmacy and calling the physician back to find out if the lab reports came in to find out if you need a follow-up visit, all that stuff has to live somewhere because it still has to get done. But sometimes the challenge I heard was that's all they felt like they had time for in their day. And a day may have started and ended without a second to do anything different than what was required or the necessities. So I tried to help spread out over a, a typical week, and I put on there every stinking single thing I could think of that would go into a caregiver's day and spread it out over the course of a week so that caregivers could be a little bit more in control of when they wanted to do which things, the things they did have a choice about, the things that weren't dependent on their loved one's mood or current behavior. If they had a choice about when a certain chore or activity got done, they maybe had a little bit more opportunity to decide where to put that in. I think it's also a great conversation starter for families around where somebody might need help. You know, there's, I always say this, you know, and, and people who are parents will understand this. You, when you're a parent, there's certain things that only you want to do. Maybe you are the only one on earth that you want to tuck your child in at night and kiss them on the forehead or to talk to them about God and faith, or maybe you want to be the one that checks their homework. But do you have to be the one that teaches them about algebra or goes to the store and gets milk when you're out? Maybe those are some things that aren't as important to you. So I think this tool in the same way helps a primary caregiver understand what are the most important parts. What are the parts that you want to keep for you because they're the most fulfilling? And then if there's any gaps or any things that are falling through the cracks, then the next time a neighbor or a family calls you and says, hey, do you need any help? Is there anything I can do? Say yes. And give them one of those things. Can you stop by and bring us some cottage cheese? We're out. Can you just stop by the pharmacy and pick up this medication? I'm going to call ahead and tell them it's okay for you as my daughter to go do that. You know, you can keep the things that you care about most and maybe start to think about where you might want to fold in help. But as always, we think it's up to every family to have that conversation with each other. This just maybe helps give voice to all the different tasks that are occurring every day in a way that helps you kind of keep on top of them a little bit better in a way that you pick instead of a way that picks you. Which is great. Um, you also have a care needs calculator. Can you explain what that is and how that works? This is another one of our interactive tools. And um, in addition to all these quick tips on what works. We have so many interactive tools in there. This is, when I was in senior housing, and, and certainly in my own experience, one of the toughest questions I got and one of the hardest to answer from families was, how do I know? How do I know when this is too much for me? How do I know when my loved one needs more care than I can provide? And there's so much wrapped up in that question, and I, my heart is full of love and compassion for the families that wrestle with that. A lot of families have promised somebody they care about, I will never, ever place you in a home. I will always take care of you. But sometimes that person's needs exceed what can safely be provided at home by just one person. 
So this calculator is a calculator not in the traditional sense in that it calculates money, but it calculates time. I don't advocate, I, I again, this whole book is never about telling a caregiver what to do. I, do. I believe firmly that this is one situation for sure where there is no such thing as an armchair quarterback. It's so different for every family and every person experiencing this that I don't think anybody out there should be calling themselves an expert telling anybody else what to do. I think it's different every moment of every day. And if you got through it, then I'll, congratulations, you're an expert now, just like anybody else. <laughs> but um, this tool kind of helps folks determine all of the tasks that they're providing in care, and it, it calculates the time. For example, when I was working my way through college as a caregiver, I had a lot of residents that needed help with bathing, but that looked different for every person. If somebody simply had arthritis, maybe they only needed me to undo the top of the shampoo bottle and stand outside the shower door with it closed for privacy, just in case they fell. And my only mission that whole time was to open those shampoo bottles and be ready with a towel when they were done. But I had other residents that during bathing, I got just as wet as they did because they really needed a lot more of my hands-on help. So this really breaks down all of those caregiving tasks from managing household finances, transportation, medication management, meal preparation, bathing, dressing, grooming, all of those things. And it really asks caregivers about the scope and frequency of the kind of help they're providing. Are they doing a little bit of help or are they doing this entire task for their loved one? And are they doing it several times a day or are they doing it once a week? And what we do is we translate that and calculate the amount of time they're spending doing these different things into how many hours of care it represents for their loved one. And then based on how many hours of care their loved one needs, it calculates how many full-time trained and awake caregivers would typically be needed to meet those needs. And I think it's a really great objective tool for families to start having that conversation around when you might want to consider getting more help. And sometimes when you love somebody that much, you've got to love them enough to share the care. If You know, you've got to love somebody enough to know that you're not the best person to teach them calculus. And if you really want them to learn it right, you maybe should send them somewhere else. And this is kind of one of those times where when you love somebody enough that you start to notice there are two-person assistants getting from the chair to standing up, or if they fell, you worry your mom would be able to pick up your dad, or you know that your mom is exhausted and she hasn't slept in weeks because dad keeps getting up at night over and over and over again, then sometimes this gives a primary caregiver permission to say this is a lot and maybe too much for one person. There isn't any way to take the pain out of making that decision away, and I wish I knew how to do it because um, we lived through it and it, it was gut-wrenching. But at some point we knew that we loved my grandpa enough that we needed to ask for some help to make sure he had the best possible days because my mom and my grandma, two committed full-time caregivers around the clock, couldn't do it. And my heart goes out to all those listeners right now that are all by themselves. 
There are some phenomenal care communities out there and some phenomenal home health care providers that are getting more dementia savvy every single day. There are some really great organizations out there that make it a point to have a lot of dementia-specific training and education for their staff. So when families decide that it's time, um, this maybe will help them with that part of the conversation about when. And then we do have another tool that helps them determine where and who by asking some different kinds of questions. But um, if we can make that conversation a little easier, then I think um, I think we've done a real service because I heard that question so many times. How do I know? what? And, and sometimes folks wait until an elopement has occurred or a primary caregiver is hospitalized and then all of a sudden they're in a situation where we don't have a plan. And we have to make a decision we weren't ready to do, we didn't want to do, and we have to do it right now. And it's emotionally exhausting and we're devastated. So hopefully this will help people have that conversation sooner so that they can put a plan in place that they feel comfortable with, whatever that looks like. Agree, agree. This is, like I said, you have, uh, this book is, is so loaded with so many tools. I mean, that's very unusual to have this many resources. Um, you know, you, you've seen this disease from every which way, and you've really taken um, this broad picture and pulled it together and and tried to make some sense of it and put it in some kind of logical format um, for people to to be able to use. I I think it's just, uh, again, just brilliant. You've also um, have a section in here about financial and legal, and you've made kind of a checklist for that as well. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, That's another one of those um, interactive tools we threw in there, and that one is about things to consider. Uh, There's, thankfully, a lot more conversation happening now around durable powers of attorney and advanced directives and living wills, and folks are getting a little bit more familiar with what those things are. If they're not familiar terms, um, we've put a brief description of what all those things actually mean in that chapter, but also just little things like, do you know where all the bank accounts are? And are you a signer on some of those things? Should you be? Um, is there a safety deposit box somewhere? Do you, does your loved one have prepaid funeral arrangements? And if so, where where is that at? Um, just all those questions that that we kind of learned the hard way that you didn't realize you didn't know the answer to. When you know you get a bill four months later for a safety deposit box you didn't know existed, or you start making arrangements for things that were already done years before, but you never knew a copy of it existed. So it just kind of takes you through some questions to ask. Um, Definitely gathering copies of things, whether it's life insurance or long-term care insurance policies, and making sure that you've got all that stuff in one place, because as the disease progresses and you start to have to make some different kind of decisions, it'd be easier if you had everything in either a health or a financial file. You don't want to have to start looking for it after you need it, if that makes any sense. And that's kind of one of those things, too, that we really 
everything in this book we tell caregivers take take what's useful to you and and ignore the rest basically um we put our best practices and every good idea we could find from folks that had either had wonderful successes or looking back had wished they had thought of something a little bit sooner and put it in there some folks that are listening have already got all this stuff together and some folks will be just starting and some will wish they had started 5 years ago and feel like it's maybe too late to execute or do some of these things but we're, we wrote this book so that wherever you are in that journey, you should be able to find something useful in every single chapter. And this is one of those. So it really helps you investigate all kinds of coverages and tells you about veterans aid and attendance and what are reverse mortgages. And if you have to afford more help at home or in a community, where do you even go to look for money that you might need but you don't currently have? So that's kind of what this chapter is designed to do. Okay, great. Well, like I said, there's so much great, great information um, here. I'm going to just um, take a pause and just kind of do our mid-program highlights. Um, but if you can hang with us, I would love to continue this conversation sure. because, um, like I said, I, I just you have got so much great information here. I, I can't thank you and your family enough um, to to take the risk to do what you did. Um, by, Thank you. by you know, switching gears and providing us all this information. So I'm just going to take a, a brief moment here to do our, our mid-program highlights, and, um, and, and, uh, and then we'll get right back into the conversation. If you have any questions or comments, you can always call in at uh, seven, I'm sorry, 714. Three six four four seven five seven. That is seven one four three six four four seven five seven. And I see someone is on the line with a question, and I will get to that right after our mid mid program highlights. And uh, you can also use the chat box as well. Uh, Mara is just loaded with great resources, and uh, what a fun conversation. Um, if you did not uh, listen to the show last week, you can you know listen to any of our shows. They're all archived. But that one featured Dr. Al Powers and his new book, Dementia Beyond Drugs, which is a fabulous, fabulous book about, um, again, person-centered care, looking at it in a different fashion. Um, we also had a company about how to pay for dementia care. How do you get those resources pulled together? They've got a great website. Um, with tons of information. Our last Dementia Chats was on the 7th, and we had a discussion with Steve Orfield, uh, who specializes in design. And we talked about noise and sound and hearing and how it affects those with dementia. It was a very interesting conversation. In fact, several people have asked if they could repost it because they've never heard of this type of conversation um, before and said we need to talk about this more. Our next Dementia Chats will be on the 22nd along with our uh, our next radio show. Um, I want to again remind you that on July 22nd as well, the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation is having a free uh, teleseminar entitled The Wisdom Journey, Discover the New Power of Elder Circles. And that's going to be 5 o'clock um, 
Pacific Time, 8 o'clock Eastern Time. It'll be an hour long. For anyone who has ever felt, you know, like they're aging, that they're feeling um, lonely and isolated, um, who has thought about what do they want to leave as a legacy, I, I think this will be a great, a great seminar. I actually have signed up myself to to be part of this, I, I think um, I, I think I'll learn a lot um, from this, and I think you could too. The guest speaker uh, for the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation for this seminar is Del Jones, and he is one of the founders of Elder Circles, and he's going to present this fascinating program that provides both a safe and respectful place for people to share their stories and reflect their life, and um, He's also going to share the new Elder Circles Without Walls and um, how you can join uh, the, the telephone circles from the convenience of your own home. So, um, again, this information is posted on our our um, website. Uh, just go to the blog and you'll find it there. I'll also put a link in the chat box here in just a moment so we have that. Want to also remind people that Alzheimer Speaks has a resource directory. Not only can you search it, but we've built it collaboratively. So if you have resources from books, blogs, newsletters, um, actual services, activities, um, support groups, pretty much anything that has to do with uh, dementia and, and giving care can be put into this uh, into this site. And if you've, you've got something that you'd like to add, just reach out to me and I will help you with that. On the blog, a couple of things um, I wanted to note was our intern, Michelle, did a great article called to be remembered and it's actually gotten a lot of attention um, people have actually called and asked if they can share it on their own blog makes us just think of things in a little different light um, there is a, a uh, an audio from BBC radio I was called last week um, to partake in that and they just wanted to know what it's like to live with Alzheimer's and they interviewed several people I just have a, a very small piece in it but uh, I was fascinated that the BBC even knew who I was to reach out to me on that but I found it to be a very interesting conversation one of the things they ask is um, would you take a blood test to find out if you have the gene uh, there is also an interview which is entitled The Truth About Alzheimer's Disease uh, Statistics Causes Early Signs and Stages that was done by Margaret Manning over in Switzerland. She's with um, 60 and, and Me and I was just thrilled to be part of that. And last I want to mention Michael Ellenbogen's uh, video um, on dementia, A Voice for the Voiceless. Um, it's an important video, I think, that we, that we all need to watch and, and take, a, take a listen to with that. So I'm going to go ahead and pull in a caller. We have somebody from a 215 number. You are live and on the air. Do you want to state your name? Michael Ellenbogen. Well, hello there, Michael Ellenbogen. How are you doing today? I am doing uh, well, Lori. How about yourself? I'm doing really good. Doing really good. So, what uh, what is your question or comment, Michael? Well, I actually had called in because I guess uh, you and I had a, had an earlier discussion in reference to I guess the news that is uh, becoming really big news today. Uh, uh, the, which 
they're talking about how, I guess, Alzheimer's is dropping, uh, not only in the U.S., but in the world, and I thought you wanted to kind of discuss that further. Yep, I, I think that that's something um, that is a very interesting um, topic, and um I'm going to go ahead and, and pull uh, Mara back in on this one too, and then we'll kind of get back to her book. But I, but I think it's important because this is this is the second or third article that I've seen on this, you know, saying that dementia is dropping, and I'm like, where are they getting this information from? Yeah. Because it it uh, it goes against everything else I, that I have seen and heard um, in many many facets. Um, well, Michael, what, I'm going to start out with you. What is your thought about uh, these types of articles? Do you think they're doing some damage out there in terms of the well, cause? Well, for me, I have to tell you, it, it, it scares me. It, it, it scares me to no end. I, I mean, I just came uh, from watching a U.S. Senate Finance Committee hearing uh, a few minutes ago that they were talking about how they were going to try to change things for these diseases and that they really want to do something quickly. Well, it's articles like this that I fear that all the progress that we have made in, in these past few years, and believe me, it's taking a real long time to even make the progress that we've had made. Uh, I, I, I actually believe we're almost at a tipping point that we're going to finally see something happen. And these articles, now they could be true, and I'm not saying they're not. But I, I just believe they're just going to set us back so many years that it's going to make it so hard for us. And, and, and that just scares me to no end. I agree. I agree. Uh, Mara, what is your thought? Uh, well, first of all, hello, Michael. And, um, you know, for, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing to fight this disease. And and I agree with you. You know, there's. it seems like there's just a new study or a new finding there almost every single day and some of them you know promise a, a get quick get well quick cure if you just take this or that supplement or this new study about the effect of this or the numbers are rising or dropping and and for myself I just kind of keep my nose to the grindstone because to me I it, my day starts and ends I have a lot of bosses there are five million people over five million people right now living with this disease and they have over 15 million unpaid caregivers taking care of them every single day and my day starts and ends with did I do right by them um, so w I don't get swayed or change too much based on whatever new or different report comes out because my work is still there. And until those families have all the resources they need to have the best possible days, we're not done, and the fight continues. So that's kind of how I look at it. Uh, and I hear you, and I understand, but when you have people like the AP chief medical writer who's putting this out, and I mean, I've now heard this blasted over the multiple radio stations already today. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is hard mm -hmm. to digest because people are hearing this. And the yeah. people that you're, we're all trying to reach out and to hopefully bring change for these caregivers, as you speak, who, who need this help. And, and, mm -hmm. and the people who are living with this, I mean, I, I honestly believe people are going to start thinking, well, maybe if I wait a little bit more, longer, you know, maybe we won't have to implement these changes. And I believe many of these congressmen and senators are just waiting for that angle. Well, I understand yeah. what you're saying, and that could be some dangerous thinking. You're right. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm afraid, too, that um, 
you know, people hear what they want to hear, and money is tight, and this gives a good excuse to to not give um, or not, uh, you know, not set those funds aside on a government level. Um, you you kind of wonder where, you know, what's behind the article. Um, Mara and I had talked earlier about, you know, what is your focus and, you know, who do you work for and is it political? Because you know, there's a lot of political stuff out there, and I think one of the things that I love what you're doing, Michael, what I love that Mara's doing, what Harry's doing, and Rick and, and myself, is it's coming from the heart. It's 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 real, you know. Um, all the work that Norms is doing, um, we're not tied into the politics. We're here to make a difference for the people, and you know, sometimes you don't always know where things are coming from. And I'm not saying that that person, uh, you know, is doing a payback for somebody. But it makes me wonder because the need is just so phenomenally large. Our numbers are growing. Age is the only thing, you know, that is kind of consistent with this disease in terms of, of um, you know, potential. And that's not going away. We're all aging and our numbers are increasing. So it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, to me in terms of the spin of the article itself. Uh, maybe I'll have to call and have him on the show <laughs> and see, see what the deal is and we'll get our, our, our audience up and up in arms. Up. But I think it's very important for people listening to understand um, this need is great, this need is growing, um, this need could be you next, you know, or someone mm-hmm. you love. Um, it's not discriminatory. Uh, we don't have a cure. We're not close to a cure. Um, we don't really know what even causes it. This is this needs to be a priority. Um, it's devastating way too many people. Way, way, way too many people. Um, I'm going to pull in Harry um, and see if he has a comment because my guess is Harry does. So, Mr. Harry, are you there? Yes, and- I am, Lori. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad. Would you like to add to the conversation here on this article that's saying, you know, dementia is decreasing? I have, I have, I don't know what to say about that article. Now, I read it that they were saying that the numbers on Alzheimer's is, is, uh, is lowering. And at first, when I read that, I thought, well, you know, that could be possible because we are now getting smart enough to recognize the other forms of dementia. At mm-hmm. one time, anybody that was, was diagnosed with any form of dementia had Alzheimer's. Now, mm-hmm. they had no idea about Lewy bodies. They didn't have any idea of FTD or, or any of the other parts, any of the other forms of of dementia. So in a way, in a small, minute way, they could be justifying the numbers on Alzheimer's going down because more people is being diagnosed with, with other forms of dementia. I think it's I think it is very um irresponsible of them to bring something like that out though, because they are minimizing what we live through, and mm-hmm. that and that, uh, that gets me as angry as Michael because we work so hard for awareness, 
and somebody comes out and, and brings out an article like that with a general title. That's what that's what gets me angry. They put a general title on, and people don't read the article. They just read the title that the numbers on Alzheimer's has gone down. Hooray. Well, they're not. You know, we we have to, you know, first of all, we have to stand up and and debunk that uh, uh, that article and, and point out the things where they erred in their studies and things like that. And uh, because so many people are going to read that and they're going to find an excuse not to donate the research, not to do this, not to do that. And it, mm-hmm. it is so wrong. Well, Harry, you brought up a really good point that it could be that there are, you know, so many different types of dementia that maybe one one side is down. And even with Alzheimer's, you know, they're breaking it into categories now. So you've got what used to be Alzheimer's is mild cognitive impairment, early onset. I mean, there's so many different variables, um, you know, within within stuff. It's getting named different. So it would be tracked different. So that's a really, I think, a really valid point that you bring up. Um, Michael, anything else that you want to want to add? I appreciate yeah, you calling things, in on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, What's most interesting about this, I don't know if I got this story right, but if I believe correctly, this was actually the announcement was made at the Alzheimer's Association International Conference in Copenhagen. So Mm -hmm. to me, it's like I I don't even understand why the association would have allowed something like this to be using their platform to speak about. Uh, And uh, to get back on what Harry had said, in that article, they actually refer to as the rate of Alzheimer's disease and other dementia. So they are including all. Okay. Uh, so it, 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 it's no confusion. And, and it, it, again, I'm, I'm not saying that there's this may not be true. I, I mean, it's very possible it is. Uh, but I, I also believe that it's not something we want to be publicizing so big out there and and making the world, you know, I mean, it's a great, it, to me, it's great news if that's the case. But at the same mm-hmm. time, it, it would be hurting. I mean, I think I shared with you an article that came out the other day. The article, that one had, I think, their headline is one-third of the cases are going away. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, it, it, it's things like that. You know, like, you know, these people look for these headlines, you know, that people yep. see, unfortunately, because they don't read past the rest of it. And, you yeah. know, it, it, it's just bad, you know, p- publicity for people who are trying to hopefully change and get help or seek help for the people who need it today. And, you know, for the future generations, I, I understand, you know, this will hopefully benefit maybe even 20 years down the line. But what about the people today? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a really, really good point. You know, I, I mean, you look at even just the sports and the concussions, that whole angle that's coming up with dementia, it's like it, it just doesn't make any sense because no one no one knows how to prevent it. Uh, no one knows, you know, how this is going. So um, I appreciate you, you uh, calling in. Um, I know Rick Phelps had, had made a comment here. And he said, you know, he he looks at the article like everything else with a grain of salt. You know, you you see and hear stuff all the time on TV about blood tests and new research coming out. And he he says, and I think it's a lot to do about nothing. 
you know, which which just might be on that. We've got a couple other callers on the line, so I'm going to go ahead and, and pull them in here. But, Michael, thank you so much for calling in. Appreciate it. Okay. Have a good day thank now. Bye-bye. You. you too. Bye-bye. We have a caller on a 704 or a 740 number. Um, let me get you live and on the air. If you want to go ahead and state your name. Hello, Lori. This is Rick. How are you? Good, good. How are you doing, Rick? I'm doing good. Hi, Mara. How are you? She's still with us? Yeah, Mara, Mara is. She should okay, be with well, us. Anyway, um, I had a couple things to say about this article that Michael talks about, and I understand completely where him and Harry's coming from. But I think what we need to do is take a step back and look at all this. I have, uh, I've said since the very beginning of my diagnosis, when I started paying attention to Alzheimer's and statistics, and every one of them are skewed. They, they didn't even start taking statistics the way they should be taken until probably 30 or maybe 40 years ago. And Alzheimer's or dementia has been around since the beginning for hundreds of years, you know. So uh-huh. I. I I just take that with a grain of salt. Um, I say that because look at it this way. The only way, even with all the research done today, the only way they can 100% surely detect Alzheimer's is if a, is with an autopsy of the brain after you're dead. So I, I, I really think that uh, coming out and saying that the the Alzheimer's, um, things like that, are, are in decline. I, I don't buy that for a second. I don't buy any of that stuff. That's I, I just don't give it the credence that it deserves because um, I know from the things that I've done and studied and looked at, you know, when somebody tells me, well, you know, if you do this, if you do that, that'll help. And some of these people are absolute professionals, and they don't have a clue about what's going on, you know. For years uh-huh. I've heard, oh, if you eat out of aluminum pans, you know, you're allowed to get dementia, you know. Or it, it's just some of the craziness that goes along with this disease, the, the stigma of it. So, you know, like I said, I understand what Harry and, and Michael were talking about, and it, and it could be a step back in some ways, but you also got to remember, nobody truly really pays any attention to this disease unless, you have it or you're dealing with it. They they really don't. I mean, that's a sad, sad thing to say, but it's absolutely true. Um, I talk to people all the time about this, and if they're not involved with it, they don't have a clue what's going on. And that's, that's what we need to focus on is the awareness of it, not just the, the, the amounts of hill beans in, in my mind. I think that's important, too. Mara, what, is, what are your thoughts on that? I definitely agree with Rick and, you know, such a, a, a huge fan of the work he does in Memory People and Uniting. He has over 8,000 caregivers that are part of this wonderfully supportive, non-judgmental online community. And I think that level of involvement is a testament to what he's saying, that if they, if you're living it, you're going to care about it. And I think if we can just keep focused on the, those folks already, there's certainly enough of them out there 
that are experiencing the signs and symptoms of Alzheimer's and dementia themselves or in somebody they love to keep all of us busy. And, you know, it's kind of interesting, I think, Lori, too, you know, each person that we've spoken to about this article had a slightly different spin on it, and it occurs to me that if each of us are interpreting it in just a little bit different way, and we do this for a living, you know, imagine how confusing this is for somebody that's just trying to get through their day and provide care to somebody that needs them 24-7. So, you know, I kind of agree with Rick about that. Take it with a grain of salt and don't let it distract us from the work that we're doing because it is making a difference and there are still plenty of people out there who need us. But at the same time, I understand and I think um, Mike's concerns, Michael's concerns are well-placed. We don't want reports like this to result in a paralysis of activity or people stopping with their plans to get involved in whatever way they can, whether that's activity or time or money or whatever it is. There's still so much work to be done, and and I hope everybody takes that away from the conversation today. Please don't stop what you're doing. Too many people out there still need us. Yeah, agree, agree. Well, thanks for calling in, Rick. Appreciate your comments. Same with you, Harry. Um, it's always nice nice to hear from you guys. So I'm going to hop back and, and get back into some more of um, more discussion with Mara and because uh, we still have more to talk about. She's just one busy lady <laughs> doing lots and lots of things. Um, let's talk about, you know, the importance importance of quality time that we spend with our loved ones and and what kind of advice do you have for people who are who are care partners who just can't seem to find that time or energy to add one more thing on their list any ideas for them we collected some great best practices from family caregivers, and that was a common feeling. We we know a lot of us that are listening because we live it every day, the emotional and physical and social and financial toll that it takes being a caregiver. And sometimes it feels like you just can't add one more single thing on your plate, but it may be easy to start and end your day having accomplished only the tasks that are required, those things that I mentioned earlier. Just, you know, look at all that happens before 8 o'clock in the morning when you're getting your loved one up and dressed and shaved and teeth brushed and fed and morning medicines and breakfast dishes cleaned up and then before you know it, it's time to go out the door to the doctor. And one of the things that we consistently heard from families is, I just, I want to feel connected to my mom. I want to feel more connected to my wife. I want to have those moments where it reminds us that we know each other and we love each other so much. And sometimes in the rush of getting all those activities done that have to be done every day, those are the moments that slip by. And I know for me, you know, when I started volunteering at a nursing home at 14 or worked my way through college as a caregiver, believe me, what got me excited about going to work every day wasn't giving baths and changing bedpans back in the day. It was those moments (laughs) that I could steal or I could fix somebody's hair or I could take a little extra time and hear about where they grew up or how they met their husband. And that just made my day. And I want to help 
family caregivers find those moments? So I started asking that question, and, you know, there's some really great tips in there. And some of these tips, I think, could be whether you're a busy mom or a busy caregiver, but just really wonderful things, like if you're going to make dinner, make three times as much as you need and freeze the other two unused portions so you got a quick meal. Quit worrying about washing dishes and use paper plates. You know, do you know, put a load of laundry in at night before you go to bed and let it run while you're asleep or just all those little things that help you save time on chores. And, and I know they sound silly and they sound so logical and common sense, but sometimes when you're just in the thick of things, you don't you don't always think about it. And just having some activity supplies ready and raring to go. And there's a lot of companies out there that, you know, make a big business out of selling you, you know, really expensive stuff. But I want to let you know that so much of what you need to interact with your loved one, you have for free. So you can shop the supply store in your own house. Um, these things are probably going to be a little bit more meaningful because they're familiar to your loved one. A good example of that is when you want to reminisce over photos. Most of us have them in, oh, my gosh, about a thousand places. There's the ones in the top drawer of our desk that we've been meaning to put into an album, but we haven't. There's all kinds of albums from over the years. There's also that big cardboard box, that one that we don't want to look at because we know it's just such a jumbled mess. It'll take us like three years to fix. But just take a second and put in one place the pictures that best represent the people, places, and times in your loved one's life that they talk about most right now. And maybe it's their parents, or maybe it's their college days, or the days when they were courting early on in in their young married life, or maybe it's when their kids were small, and that's how they think of you, is when you were five instead of the woman that you are in front of them today. Whatever it is, gather all that stuff and have it ready. You know, just little things like that. And, And to start small, and not have too high of expectations. Sometimes we have this great idea of something we think our loved one's going to enjoy, and we pour our whole heart and soul into it. And then what happens? Our loved one couldn't care less. They're not at all interested. They wander off from the table, or we can't seem to make eye contact long enough for it to be fulfilling for anybody. And one of the most hurtful things I ever heard um, sometimes from families, I would ask them, well, tell me about your mom as a person. We talked about her as a patient, but tell me about her as a person. Oh, she doesn't do anything anymore. She just sits there, and it just broke my heart because I said, well, what did she used to like to do? Well, she loved to play cards, but she can't do that anymore. So a lot of what we have in the book are tips for folks to start small and to figure out how to make the things that somebody used to love accessible again. Maybe she can't play Pinnacle, but hey, let's sort the cards into colors, red from black. Let's put them in numeric order. Let's just hold them and have finger snacks like we used to when she would have her friends over. Let's put on the favorite music that she would have in the background. And don't give up. It doesn't mean that you didn't have a good idea. It just might mean that she didn't feel like doing it right then or he wasn't interested. But but keep trying and and engagement looks like a lot of different things and we really talk to caregivers about redefining success. If your loved one is next to you, that's successful. If they're trying to talk to you, even though they can't make their words say what they wish they could, that's success. They're trying to communicate with you. Just being together. That matters. That matters a ton. It, you don't always have to be doing something or to have it look like a certain hobby or to even finish what you started for it to be a wild success. So we just really want to give people permission to find a place in their day. I wish it was more than five or ten minutes, but I know how busy folks are already. But make it a goal. Just set aside five or ten minutes and just try it for a week. For at least five or ten minutes a day, 
I'm not going to do anything but love on this person, whatever that looks like. I'm going to hold his hand. I'm going to tell her a story. I'm going to read their favorite Bible passage. I'm going to put on their favorite song. If they're sitting and staring out the window, then I'm going to sit right next to them and do it too. Whatever that looks like, because it's those moments that give you the strength to do all the other stuff that you have to do because you took a minute to do something you wanted to. Well, that's that's a, a great, great way to put it. Let's go into, because you have great activities in this book, and you've really um, broken them down well. Can you can you speak about how and why you, you broke the activities down? Because you give tons of ideas, which is wonderful. I Well, thank you so much. Um, well, that was part of an answer to, like I said, that, that comment that, well, they don't like to do anything anymore, and it just... I thought, well, no, that's not it. There's some kind of disconnect happening. And and I felt like maybe what we needed, there was all these wonderful activity programs. I got I got a front row seat. Um, I worked with some really phenomenal memory care program directors and activity directors and life enrichment trainers that their whole job in life was to break down and deconstruct activities into small doable steps so that people felt purposeful and successful no matter how they participated. And I thought, you know, that doesn't exist anywhere. There isn't any one place that you can just go and pull that and flip right to a hobby or interest that your loved one used to like and then have 20 or 30 ideas based on what they're still capable of and what stage they are in the disease process. So that's what we did. The whole last third of the book, um, gosh, topics for people that like animals, um, times when you need to calm and comfort your loved one, if they like the outdoors or church and worship, um, different holidays, um, cooking and baking, fashion and beauty, family and parenting, fishing and boating. I could go on garage and tools, car lovers, fashion lovers. I mean, you name it. There's over 50 different activity interest areas. And then, again, each one of those has – activity ideas that are I have I have what I call a 10 minutes tops philosophy and mm-hmm. I don't think it should take you any more than 10 minutes to get ready for an activity 10 minutes to to put it on so that it's ready for your loved one and it should be something that could be start and finished in 10 minutes so that your loved one doesn't lose interest and has the most possible chances of being successful at it um, so our 10 minutes tops philosophy is full of things to do with items you probably already have around the house that make it really easy for somebody you love to enjoy something they always did in a little different way right now and like I said a lot of it is about us redefining our idea of what success looks like somebody might not be able to go to a golf course and go golfing but it doesn't mean they don't enjoy a walk outside and the smell of fresh mowed grass it doesn't mean that they don't like organizing golf balls by color doesn't mean that they don't want an indoor putting set or it doesn't mean that they wouldn't enjoy a video or recognize Arnold Palmer if they saw him so there's just so many ideas under each category because again we recognize every person is so different in terms of what they're still able to do and what they would enjoy doing that we wanted to put as many ideas as possible in there for caregivers but we really held firm to that 10 minutes tops it shouldn't require you to buy anything or do this big elaborate production or to have your loved one sit there for X amount of time and go from start to finish with an activity if they lose interest or are no longer enjoying it. So it really gives permission for caregivers to to look at things a little different, to have a little fun and to define success in a way that is all about being together, whether you finish or not, whether it turned out great or not. 
so what if you made cookies and they dumped all the salt, the entire thing of salt in the batter? So what? You don't have to eat them. But sure, wasn't it fun getting your hands dirty while you made them? That's good enough. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's just such a great attitude to be able to have. And we're so used to having everything done perfect. And, you know, dementia is really about flexibility. And it's really Mm -hmm. about... You know, living, uh, living respectfully, and and you know, it's just a whole, it's a whole different ball of wax, and um, it, it has so many beautiful, beautiful lessons. You know that that it's teaching us. You know, throughout this whole, throughout this whole process, which is is just exceptional. I hope people end this book and get out of it maybe a few new ideas, but also I hope they close it and think, you know what, I'm doing a pretty good job. And maybe helps them recognize some successes they're already having. Because by and large, one universal truth I'm afraid I found was that folks that are caregiving are so hard on themselves. There's so much guilt that they carry around about, I should have done this better or that better, or I wish I wouldn't have said it this way, or if only I had handled it this way instead. And I just want them to end each day thinking about what went right, because there Mm -hmm. are so many things that could get missed every day that are right and good. And I don't know that we always spend time on that. We don't always have the luxury of that kind of time, first of all, because you're dealing with whatever happens next, and the rug's always getting pulled out from under you, and things are changing so fast. But I, I hope there is time set aside that that maybe you'll pause for a minute if you're listening and think about what what went well today because I'm sure yep. there was something. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's very important for us to to consider to consider it all, you know, the big the big big picture of of, of what's right and what's wrong and, and what do we want um what is really our goal, you know, and it really is mm-hmm. about comfort. It's about our relationship. It's not necessarily about the things we do. Can you give us, we just have a few minutes left here. Um, like I said, I could talk to you all day. Um, some um, some information on challenging times, you know, because you have in the book um, a, a chapter on kind of behaviors and prevention. Yeah. Can you touch base on that a little for us? Oh, sure. Uh, Our philosophy, again, is very much that all behavior is communication and that there's likely a reason that you're witnessing whatever it is you're witnessing, whether somebody's swearing or striking out or hitting or refusing to wear their pants or whatever's going on. We feel like the key to dealing with it successfully is to first find out why. Um, And generally, we feel like behavior is just another way of communicating an unmet need. And one thing I want to say, and I know our caregivers are really good at this, they have to be to do what they do every day, but to really differentiate between the person and the disease process, because I believe with my whole heart that if your loved one could just pull you aside and sit you down right now, they would tell you how sorry they are that you're going through this hurt and how sorry they are that some of the things happen that are happening at home, maybe some of the things they said or they did. And if they could choose to behave differently, I know they would, but they can't. So instead, we have to always remind ourselves, this is the disease, not the person. And I know that's easier said than done. 
you know, believe me, as a, as a caregiver, I've, you know, done done my very best job only to get as my reward and thanks a big slap in the face that really hurt when I didn't do anything wrong but love on somebody. So we're called names that were very hurtful. And it's hard. It's hard to suit up again and, and come back with a loving heart and a servant spirit when, when your feelings are hurt. So first and foremost, you know, just remember as hard as it is that it's not the disease and that it's, excuse me, not the person, it's the disease and that you didn't do anything wrong. But let's look for what that, that unmet need and that behavior might be indicating. So we have kind of a breathe acronym that we use. And if someone's trying to communicate an unmet need to you and might not be able to do it, Let's think about maybe what's causing them to do this and to behave this way. So that BREATHE acronym kind of asks you to go through this really quick checklist to figure out why is somebody doing this. And the first one is, do they need to go to bed? Are they tired? Are they exhausted? You know, anybody can get cranky. We have our days, too, when we've had lack of sleep or we've been up for an awfully long time or we're just physically tired from pacing or exhausted. Um, Do they need to use the restroom? You know, that was something we really commonly saw. I would tour a lot of families in senior housing that would be very embarrassed to tell me that their loved one disrobes all the time. And we're kind of ashamed of that behavior when really it might mean something really easy. Maybe somebody has to go to the bathroom and they can't tell you. Maybe you put them in some kind of itchy pants or ones that are too tight around the waist or that aren't comfortable anymore. Maybe they're just too hot and they can't tell you that these you know heavy clothes you've put them in are making them uncomfortable. So they do the only thing they know how to do, which is get out of them. So R stands for restroom, and E in breathe is engage in an activity. Sometimes you're just bored and you just are looking for something to do, and because you can't find it and you don't feel useful and you don't feel purposeful and you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, you get agitated and angry about it because you feel out of place and useless, and that's nobody wants to feel like that every day. So let's find out, is there anything else we can do to engage somebody in an activity? And sometimes we talk, too, about about molding the behavior into an activity. If somebody's pacing, instead of trying to get them to stop, take them on a walk in a safe place. If somebody's pounding the table, then let's do it rhythmically and let's make it an, an, a, a musical event or put on a favorite calming song that we can tap to. If somebody's ripping up a napkin into little pieces, fine. As long as they're not eating them, help them. Let's tear up pieces of tissue paper and make a collage. Find a way to maybe work with that activity to help get somebody through it. And um, the A in breathe is anxious or afraid. A lot of times those behaviors start to occur because of those feelings I said earlier. When someone's not sure where they are, what they're supposed to be doing, or who they're with, or why they aren't home or at work or can't drive, So we need to work to calm that person or if they need to vent to validate their feelings. Um, You know, nobody likes to be patronized. So sometimes it's about mirroring when they're upset. I can't find my purse. My purse is gone and you won't help me find it. Then you need to be just as upset about it as they are. I hate that your purse is gone. We've got to look for it right now. Let's go find it. I can see why you're upset. I understand. Let's find it. And then help them through that moment until the behavior has subsided. And then thirsty, you know, dehydration can commonly increase the side effects and symptoms of Alzheimer's and dementia. So one of the things we need to find out is if their behavior is worsening or these occurrences are happening more often, we want to make sure they're hydrated. And maybe they're hungry. You don't even want to get me started telling me how cranky I get when I haven't had lunch. You know, sometimes some people are just hungry and and they don't know how to tell you that. 
and maybe they're experiencing any pain or discomfort. So that BREATHE acronym can really help. I remember one story of a gentleman that we took care of that kept kicking off his shoes, and he kicked them off so violently and with such force that they would hit a wall, or people were afraid, other caregivers, that his flying shoes would hit another resident. And then we stopped and thought, why does he keep kicking off his shoes? And when we took off his socks, we found out, you know what? It looks like he might have an ingrown toenail, and he's probably experiencing some pain. Those shoes are probably too stinking tight for him right now. So why don't we instead use some socks with rubber soles and get him an appointment with a podiatrist instead of thinking this man is such a problem because he's kicking off his shoes? And I think that's a a really simple story that indicates there might be some underlying reasons for that, either physically or emotionally. There might be a need somebody's trying to tell you about. And, And maybe look real quickly to see if any of those breathe acronyms apply first before you respond to that behavior because it might help you get through it really a lot quicker and in a way that's a lot less stressful for you and for a loved one. Well, that makes that makes a lot of sense, a lot of sense. Um, gosh, like you said, I could, I could just talk with you all day. What I'm going to um, give you one more question and then we're going to have to have to wrap up. Um, what are... <laughs> Your like three keys that you hope hope readers take away um, from your book when um, caring takes courage. Ah, uh, well, um, definitely. Like I said earlier, that there there is no right or wrong way of doing this, and to try not to be comparative, to try not to hold yourself to a standard that doesn't exist or is exclusive to only one family in one situation. And I think that's really kind of why I wrote the book the way I wrote it. It would have been a really easy book to write about my grandpa. There probably wouldn't have been enough pages for me to fill to tell you the kind of person that he was. But I thought the way that I could do the best job as Bill's granddaughter was to help the most amount of people. And that Mm -hmm. meant taking the personalization a little bit out of it and putting enough general tips and techniques in there that would help the largest amount of people. And like I said, chances are pretty good. Caregivers are going to recognize some successes they're already having, and I hope that they, they take a moment to do that. And the second thing probably is that Sadly, there are 15 million other people that are on this very same journey of caregiving. So chances are pretty good that what you're seeing and what you're experiencing has happened before. And I hope that this book will kind of serve as a silent companion on an otherwise lonely journey to remind you that somebody has been through the very same thing that you are and you're not alone and you have a friend when you need it most of all in addition to some of the wonderful organizations like memory people and all the work that you're doing and harry's doing that also i hope this guide is is something that keeps you company in those moments when it feels like your whole world's falling apart that maybe it's got a few ideas in there that can help you and probably the third thing would be that it's just okay. It's all okay. It's okay to feel every single thing that you're feeling, and it doesn't make you a good person or a bad person. There's going to be times when you're having the best possible day and the person you love looks at you like they remember you, and you feel so loved and connected in that moment that you feel like 
you're on top of the world. And the next day you're so exhausted and sad and angry and maybe even resentful that you feel like you're a selfish or terrible person, and you're not. Everything you feel is okay, and we all go through those. Every single one of those emotions happen, and sometimes all in the same hour on a bad day, but mm-hmm. definitely yeah. all throughout this journey. And everything you feel is normal, and it's all right, and it doesn't make you good or bad or selfish or weird or anything. That There's just no right way. Nobody knows what it's like to love and lose this person to Alzheimer's but you. And nobody can tell you how to get through it but you because you're the only person that's had that front row seat. So give yourself permission to experience it the way it's happening for your family because that's all that matters. Okay. That's what I hope they know. Well, Mara, it's it's been such uh, a privilege and an honor to have you on the show with us today. Your book and your materials that you have, When Caring Takes Courage, I, I can't say enough good things about it. This will be, for many, uh, the new Bible they hold on to to help them through this journey. And you do it in with such beauty and grace and such simplicity so that, that makes it feel achievable. That means a lot to me, and I hope I've done my grandfather proud. Oh, I think so. I think so. <laughs> no doubt <laughs> in my mind there at all. So, um, thank you for having for them, me. Best way for people to get a hold of you. What what uh, contact information would you like them to have? I know. I believe we have your email and your website um, on our uh, you know on our home page there. Um, and and also had made some notes uh, how people can purchase the book on uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and even get some tools on iTunes. There. Excellent. Um, yep. So um, they can reach me um, if they want to send an email. It'll get right to me if they send it to info at biography b i o g r a p h y based care dot com. Or we have a toll-free number as well, um, 888-988-1753. And like you said, you can find the book on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes, and it's in more versions than I quite understand, nooks and kindles and apps and things like that. But, <laughs> but I hope people get the paper version because so many of the things I think are only useful when you get to tear them out and fill them out and take them where they need to be shared and communicated with healthcare providers or others. So, you know, whatever works best for everybody. But um, I just have such compassion and respect for every fellow caregiver that's on this journey, no matter what stage you are in the process. And for those living successfully with this disease, my heart is with you every moment of every day. And I feel like I work for you and I'm not going to stop. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much, Mara, for all you are doing for for so many of us out there, um, you have definitely made a huge, huge impact um, on, on not Thank only you. myself, but many, many others out there. And your your work is fabulous. So um, if you ever get down just in need a pep talk, you come and call me and I'll just boost you right up cause, because your work is I definitely and making a big difference. So thank you so much. You have a wonderful week, okay? Thank you, and thank you for having me, and best wishes. God bless to all your listeners. Okay, bye now. Bye-bye. 
For those of you that are not familiar with the, the Purple Angel Project, again, I would uh, recommend that you check that out and get involved. It's, a, it's an absolutely fantastic project where you can help raise awareness and be part of the conversation um, in terms of raising awareness and it's not going to cost you a thing. So uh, you can find more information on alzheimerspeaks.com, go to our about page or you can always uh, Google the Purple Angel um, Global as well. Alzheimer's Disease International can help you find an Alzheimer's Association anywhere in the world and don't forget the Alzheimer's Studies Group. They've got a couple of trials out, um, as well as the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. They, again, are having that free uh, teleseminar this uh, coming Tuesday, the 22nd. Um, and I did post information on how you can get that on our blog. So feel free to, to join that. I'm, I'm personally going to try to attend that. And then for those of you dealing with Lewy body, frontal temporal lobe, or aphasia, which is uh, speech difficulties, you know, make sure you go to those specific organizations. There's a lot of great information out there where they can help you uh, live a better life and um, have resources specific to your needs. If you're looking at some recreational pieces, again, uh, Coral Health with Music First is a wonderful resource as well as Puzzle with Me and the Jiminy Wicket uh, program, which is a croquet game specific uh, for dementia. <clears throat> Feel free to check out our blog. We've got some great articles uh, listed um, on the blog as well as some wonderful um, video and some interviews as well from around the world. Till next week, we will uh, talk to you soon, but have a blessed, uh, a blessed week and take care and uh, hope you join our conversation next Tuesday. Thanks now. Bye. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families, too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.